Welcome to the Crown Council Mentor of the Month program. This is Steve Anderson. Our mentor this month is one of our own, Crown Council member Dr. Bill Williams from Swanee, Georgia. Over the last 38 years, Bill Williams has practiced, lectured extensively, engaged in numerous hours of humanitarian dentistry, and over the course of a 10-year period of time has taken a scratch practice and by adding over $500,000 a year in production every year for 10 years, created a premier practice producing nearly $6 million a year. In his recent book, Marketing the Million Dollar Practice, Bill shares many of the secrets he's used to sustain amazing year-over-year practice growth. Today, we've invited Bill to share his top secrets for building a practice that keeps on growing. Bill, welcome. Steve, great to be here on the Crown Council Mentor of the Month program. I've been a fan of yours and the council for years as I've been a member listening to the other mentors, and now I feel honored to be able to be uh, serving back in the profession, telling them what I did to grow a practice beyond uh, my wildest expectations. Well, as you know, we're uh, one of the, the tenets of the Crown Council is copy genius, and so we're uh, eager to hear your genius ideas and what you've done to build an amazing practice. Maybe you could start by sharing with us the the story of what started all this. You started a scratch practice kind of mid-career, as I recall. Why don't you give us a little background on that? Well, for those who know me, I started out in Snow Mountain, Georgia, and had a practice there for 23 years. And the neighborhood went down, and it got kind of difficult to uh, keep staff. And when somebody uh, got shot on the corner, of where I practice was, I decided it's time to move. And so I started marketing the practice to sell it. And, uh, yeah, I did sell it. But a year and a half, two years later, I had to take it back because the guy um, couldn't pay, you know, the note because he, he wasn't doing that good. And then I, I was back there for another two years and built it back up, sold it again. And uh, at that point, I had spent uh, eight or ten years just uh, deciding whether I wanted to even stay in dentistry or not, it seemed so difficult. And um, while we had a good practice, it was just a struggle. So um, I left that place and moved about 30 miles north with with a a new start, I guess you'd say. I found a little uh, 1,200-square-foot building space and moved in where some dentist had just moved out and uh, started there from scratch had no patients and no uh, yellow page ad, which I had relied on for years to get going. And uh, so I decided, well, there's got to be a, a way to grow this thing. So we applied everything we knew and took some classes and learned a lot from marketing people. And it, it just it amazed me how it grew a half a million a year every year for the next 10 years. So uh, what we've... Uh... What we've asked you today to do, and appreciate the backstory, because this is a, a great story behind the success, and uh, it's one thing to be able to do it. It is even better to be able to do it and understand what you've done to make it happen. And you're going to share with us today some of those key ideas that helped you achieve that kind of growth. So uh, why don't you kind of give us your overall, what the overall uh, practice marketing philosophy is you've developed a a concept called a quality funnel. Tell us a little bit about that. 
Well, there's four phases of practice marketing that works around that funnel, the quality funnel. And uh, the four things you have to really accomplish are you have to create a public image. You have to have a PR strategy. Hiring a PR firm might be something you might do. You might take a PR class yourself. And uh, the second thing you've got to do is develop your relationships with interactivity being the key. Get involved, get the people involved, coming in, viewing your videos, reading your blogs, downloading your ebooks. Maybe playing games and contests online that relate to your practice. Even clipping a coupon, being liked on Facebook, or in some cases you might have them join your Pinterest page. All that is just to deepen a relationship because you gotta you got to get them into relationship before you can do the selling, which is the third part of the funnel. Move deeper into the relationship by getting them into the office, accepting an appointment, going through the exam, the consult, the treatment. So all that is part of the funnel. Finally, you got to even retain the patients. you got to actually block the back door, keep the cattle in the pen, as we say. It's recare magic. It's uh, what I call the tooth bank. If you do all those things, you've got a funnel that works. And part of what we do in our um, training and our teaching is talk about how to increase the flow through the funnel at four levels at four different places. Got it. So we're going to we're going to focus today kind of on those first uh first two levels. You're a big fan, I know, of guerrilla marketing. Maybe you can differentiate for us how that's different from traditional marketing. Yeah, guerrilla marketing really is different. I mean, most people don't understand guerrilla marketing. Maybe they've never even heard the term, but um, I studied under Jay Conrad Levinson, who was the father of guerrilla marketing, and he said that going after conventional goals using unconventional methods is what what is guerrilla marketing. I'd say that you don't shoot until you see the whites of their eyes. In other words, you want to get people to draw close to you before you ask them to buy. I'm a fan of relationship building and building image and building uh, a reputation so that you're attractive to people based on what you offer rather than how much discounts you can give them. So I use common sense marketing and I call it small ball. Instead of trying to hit a home run and just do big cases all the time, I like to be seen as somebody who can meet every challenge and any patient that comes in the door, I want to have the answer for them just majoring in the insignificant things to us may be this one significant thing to the patient. So I'm always looking at one person trying to just work and sell myself to one person at a time. And every single person I meet, I want to be the best dentist that they've ever seen or heard of. You've used, um, obviously used a very web-centric strategy Maybe you can kind of give us a little background of how you have built that over the last 15 years. Yeah, I mentioned that I didn't have any yellow pages, Steve, when I came to Swanee. So I had to look around and find out how to get people in the door. And the Internet was kind of new back then, so I got a web page and made it and was the webmaster for the first 10 years of our practice. And I added things to it on a daily basis, and it became you know quite a large thing. So in the time I made it, I was one of the few that had a website. And uh, all the marketing we did, whether it was newspaper, radio, TV, print ad, everything pointed back to the website. So we called it web-centric marketing, where the the website spokes 
leading to the center, which is a website. The hub of the wheel is the website. As many things as you can plug into it, then more people will see what you're doing. I uh, talked about seven key elements to a dynamic website in 2014, and it's changed quite a bit from back in 1997 when I started my website. You've got to have a lot more brevity and clarity. There's a lot more competition, so you've got to have a headline that pops out. You've got to have compelling messages that speak to the obvious quickly because people make decisions much more quickly when they look at your website now than they used to. So we want to include a call to action and a compelling offer in every website versus home page. And I, I would say this, there's two things that are uh, for the future you must have on a website, and that's video, and it must be mobile responsive. Got it. Now, despite all the high-tech stuff, uh, I know that you are a big believer in word of mouth. That's a big part of uh, relationship marketing, and it is, to this day, your largest source of referrals. Is that correct? It is. I would say 50% of our referrals come from other patients and from uh, word of mouth marketing that we do, which is on purpose. It's not something that's by accident, but we, we stress that important part, and uh, we developed some techniques called, for instance, the red iPad strategy, which is something we do in the office to um, connect people to the social media sites for referrals and reputation management for testimonials and reviews, things like uh, Yelp, and Insider Pages, Bing, and yeah, City Search, Google Plus, which is the most important. We call it the new SEO, you know, it used to be you wanted a lot of keywords on your websites to rank with Google, but Google's changed its algorithm recently, and you need to be really good on reputation management and um, getting patient reviews if you're going so to have what, strong word of mouth. In that area, what is the most effective thing that you're doing now for getting reviews? Absolutely. I, I've find that there's two parts you've got to get reviews and manage reviews. So to manage reviews, you've got to hire a company to work with you. I mean, you can't do it yourself. That's what I find. You've got to have professional management skills applied to the social media out there. But you can do a lot to get reviews yourself. And, you know, you'll spend a lot of effort getting patients to refer to you and to recommend you. We do. We we ask people for referrals. We ask them to go online. We'll give them the links. We'll give them the uh, connections. We'll give them pieces of paper to write out their testimonials. So we'll use a number of techniques to gather information. But the main thing is you should not gather all your testimonials in your office on your own computer because then the uh, websites, the social media sites will kick them off, Google and Yelp and all. Because they know where they're coming from, and if they're coming from your office all the time, they're they're going to just discard them. So that's one of the key things. Got it. Uh, so tell us about your uh, new patient experience. Once you get them in the door, uh, you obviously want to keep them. So tell us a little bit of how that works in your practice. Uh, well. 20 years ago, we started a study club called the Solstice Research Group. It's a group of dentists from across the country, uh, Lee Osler, Joe Ellis, uh, Nick Meyer, a bunch of guys that met on a 
summer solstice and the winter solstice. Actually, that's where we took our name from because we just met six months apart. And we developed a technique of interview that involved video cameras and um, interrolled video. And we uh, did a tour of the mouth. And so over the 20 years, we've refined that particular technique in, uh, in our teaching now, which we call the solstice advisors because it just stemmed from that same uh, experience. We we do a tour of the mouth and also a tour of the office. And it's, it's so effective and so unique that patients routinely comment to me, I've never had an exam this thorough. I've never had a dentist that understands what I really wanted, and you're the first one that's ever listened to me. So we build in all the different patient parameters of what they want and um, it's almost as if we um, invite them into a play and we are going through a, a script and they're a participant, they're the audience, and they're enjoying going through this thing because it's all about them. They're the star, they're the center of the stage, and we're playing to them. And the new patient experience really tends to get us about twice as much acceptance and our treatment plans are twice as readily um, agreed to by the patient. So we highly recommend it, and that's one of the tenets of what we teach. Got it. Uh, so you have a thing called psychographic attraction and in, in how you make your you and your practice attractive to new patients with everything that you do. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, that that is something I uh, learned from uh, one of my friends, Dave D., psychographic attraction. It's uh, appealing to patients find out what they want, what motivates them. And so what we do in, in our practice is we use our health history, our intake forms, as a way to attract people to us. Not only are we finding out about them, but we're letting them find out about us by the questions we ask. You know, Umber spoke years ago at Napili and said, if you must speak, ask questions. Speak to the obvious. So those are the first two things that Omar used to tell tell us to learn about patients. And so I learned to speak to the obvious and ask questions. When I'm using the psychographic attraction techniques, which, you know, I write a chapter about that technique in my book, Marketing the Million Dollar Practice, which um, anybody that wants it can get it at 100newpatientsamonth.com. The psychographic attraction is basically the intake forms. It's the way people learn about us. It's a short circuit way for me to get information about them. Psychographics, of course, is what motivates people to make choices. So give us a, give us an example of what we might see on your health history form that might be different than uh, the typical general run-of-the-mill dental health history form. Mm. Well, I might ask them... Um, Do they need a church? Do they want to know the name of a Do they want to know the name of a good CPA or an attorney or an insurance agent? Do they want to know about healthy longevity? I'll ask them if they want more information on how to make their smile better, how to avoid periodontal surgery. Uh, it, it goes across the board 
and covers a whole series of life questions, what they prefer, where they're going, what they're looking for. There's one question on there that really um, I put it on there after a number of years of dealing with people and what their fears are. And I, uh, I say, how did you get here? Why did you choose us? And the whole list of things, and I put a lot of our marketing things on there. But one of them I said was I dreamed about it. And I have people that tell me they dream about their teeth and the dentistry. Another question I put on there is, um, or the answer to the question of how did you find us, is I prayed about it. A lot of people will uh, pray about their dental needs and dental personnel that they're going to seek, and then we just tend to show up. I, I can't tell you how many people come into us because we just showed up after they had prayed about it. And uh, the the secret there is that you have to show up everywhere and you have to show up a lot. So part of marketing is being everywhere when people are looking. You know, if somebody's looking for a dentist, you just need to show up. Right. And there's a lot of people looking. All right. So speaking of showing up. History, is it? <laughs> speaking not of not a typical medical history, that's very true. Speaking of showing up, uh, social media, obviously a big thing now that didn't exist when you first started, and you've made a big play in that area. Tell us what your priorities are in each area of, of your social media effort. Uh, you got to be number one in Google. That's your first job. Uh, every practice, every dentist should just value that the most. For the most success, you need to be number one in Google, or at least on the first page, but certainly number one is better than number two. Facebook is number two. YouTube is coming up as number three. Twitter is fairly important still, and Pinterest is a, is a one of recent origin that people are jumping into, and LinkedIn is very good for the business of dentistry. Those are the number ones that I would say the six social six, I call them. Uh, up-and-coming social sites that you haven't heard of or not using much for business yet are Tumblr and Instagram, but there's there's a whole group of people that are using Instagram for a lot of business success. It's not just your teenager's um, food and fun picture page. Yeah. Now, I assume with a practice your size, you have someone that manages all your social media for you. Is that correct? Somewhat yes and somewhat no. Uh, over the years, I've had different techniques, and uh, I've gone from me doing it myself totally to delegating it to my staff, where each staff member had a, a team of folk that worked on Facebook or Twitter or different things, so they were in charge of it, to where I hired a separate person, a separate company of professionals to handle it. Right now, it's myself and a professional company that manage it. So we probably both put up equal amounts of information in all the uh, social media. I like doing it. That's why I do it. If somebody's not liking that or doesn't want to, uh, professional management is definitely one way to go. But it still has to be very personalized. And if you don't have somebody in the office that's uh, putting personal stuff in there, it's not going to be near as good as if you just turn it over to another company. So I'm going to ask you to go back and grab something from your social media experience. What is the most effective 
uh, post you have ever done on Facebook or Twitter or Pinterest that's gotten the most interest? Uh, had to be when I spoke at my mother's funeral. She knitted stockings for people for over 50 years as Christmas stockings and gave them away. And she gave over a thousand and twenty-five of them away to friends, relatives, neighbors over her 50 years of knitting Christmas stockings. And when we had the funeral, everybody brought their stockings and put them on the altar. It was just wow. covered, you know. So, and I, I got up there and spoke at the and gave the eulogy. First time I'd ever spoken at a funeral in my life. And um, it went really well, and we had some people take pictures of the uh, thing. And that post, that that picture, went viral with all those stockings on the altar. And that was the most effective thing I've ever put out on Facebook. You know, it's interesting that it, it really seems like the more personal and heartfelt it is uh the the better it does so i'm yeah, not surprised to hear that. it's not about dentistry it's about who you are you know sure. if a person when you're using social media you must show up as a person of interest you know you're not a suspect or a culprit you're a person of interest yeah uh, talk to us a little bit about uh, image and reputation. Obviously, that is uh, on the front end. That's what people buy. That's why they pick up the phone, they call you, they schedule. And so what, do you, what are the ways that you have used so that people in your market see you as the expert? Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite topics, Steve, because being the expert is where you separate the men from the boys, the uh, women from the girls. This is the place where a dentist really wants to stand out in his community or her community because patients are looking to choose the best dentist, the one who's right for them, and typically they're looking for the expert when they're looking for something that's significant to do. And being the authority, having the image and the reputation should precede you in marketing. It's really not something that you want to just take for granted. So you have to have to cultivate being the expert and the authority. You have to actually seek out ways to let people know. That's why PR is so important for the top of your funnel. So there's four parts to being an expert. One is the depth of knowledge. You have to have the breadth and the depth. You can't be an expert if you really don't have the goods to sell. So I really recommend people be lifelong learners in CE and and go to courses and stay involved. They also have to show their credentials. They have to display what's going on in their life as far as education. So you want to put your credentials out on the website, on the wall of your office, in your brochures, on your TV or radio programs. There's got to be uh, a marketing of yourself as the expert all around town. So that's why, for instance, I said, people pray about finding a dentist and then they see my name. Well, it's not by accident that they find my name because we have strategically placed our images in our uh, URLs and, and places where they're going to see them. So that's what you call marketing yourself as the expert. And finally, you have to have social proof of what you say, you know, that you can deliver the goods. And that's where we come to the the, the huge thing that um, I call the, uh, the $1,000 bump when I teach 
I teach about the $1,000 bump, and that's what happened to me when I put before and after pictures and testimonials on my website. I got a $1,000 bump of productivity per day just for doing that one thing. So you put your social proof out, and people will believe what you're actually saying. If you don't show the pictures, if you don't have the testimonials, they'll just think you're just blowing smoke. So we get a got to have a third third party endorsement. That's what it is. Says you're a good guy. All right, tell us about decathlon dentistry. Oh, I'm a master of the Academy of General Dentistry, and I have promoted decathlon dentistry as such for you know, 10 or 20 years, I believe that being a general dentist is the best place in the world to be in dentistry. And I believe that if you stay in business long enough and you study hard enough, you'll become an expert in every one of the 10 areas. So I call it decathlon dentistry for the 10 areas of dentistry that we can be in. So our moniker on our sign out front of our office is everything under one roof. Uh, we, we've got comprehensive dentistry on our business cards. One-stop shop is what we uh, would say to somebody who's looking for treating the family's needs, and they don't have to go into six offices to get their families treated. It's just a good place to be. Decathlon dentistry is what a lot of dentists do when they're in rural you know, practices where there's not a specialist within 100 miles. We do it even in our major metro cities where I am in Atlanta. We're in a suburb, so... They're a lot of specialists, and I use them, but I just don't use them as often as uh, some people. Got it. Uh, tell us about the seven mountains of marketing. You're I mean, one of the things that's very clear in having listened to you lecture and talking and, and going through your book is uh, you have left no stone unturned when it comes to marketing. I mean, you have you have done a little bit of everything and a lot of some things. Uh, so tell us about what what you call the seven mountains of marketing. In um, in the marketing scheme, you have a strategy, and you can break it up into types of media, which most people do when they're talking about marketing. But I broke it up into influences on people, and it's the government, the education, the media, the economy, celebration, which means uh, radio, TV, sports. The family and then religion uh, or spiritual things. So if you attack your marketing and understand each of the movers and shakers within those areas and you align yourselves with those people, you actually become the go-to person for a very influential set of people. In other words, if you don't ignore these things, if you actually understand them and you start applying principles to marketing to segments of the economy that influence masses of people, your stock will quickly rise far above any that ignore or don't know about these things. So I think it's one of the major strategic areas in marketing that that a dentist could uh, totally take over a, a community should he want to. So you're actually targeting the influencers in each of those areas, is that right? Yes. Now, I'm actually trying to become the influencer in each of those areas. For instance. Uh, so give us a case study of what you've done in your community as far as government is concerned. Well, very recently, very recently, like last week, my candidate won election to the House 
in the uh, just finished election last uh, Tuesday. We had fundraisers at our house for him. We had media messages going out throughout the community about him. And we had hundreds and hundreds of people associate with us in our dental practice because we associated with uh, the candidate. So being active in political candidacy would be a number one thing to do. Knowing all the mayors, knowing the governor, knowing the senators, you know, having a personal knowledge of each of these people and supporting their causes will come back to you. So we're very active in, in supporting the elected officials. They know my name. They answer my calls when I uh, ring their phones. And you've done that in each of those different areas, education all the way down in each of those areas. You've done it by design, not by accident. Is that right? Absolutely. We, um, we're known in our area as the mission dentist. We go on missions all over the world. We have local missions. We're on TV and radio about what we do. And we are the sports team dentist for the gladiators. Uh, for 10 years, we've been, you know, on the airwaves about what we do, helping the team make their mouth guard. So every area I try to show up. I don't want to be somebody who's never been heard of. Uh, sorting through the whole direct mail, radio, TV, all of the media areas of marketing can be a little daunting, uh, especially in some bigger markets like you are. Tell us how you've navigated through the whole media choices and, and doing that within a budget and making sure that you get a return on your investment. Mm, I said the best return on investment comes out of direct mail, so you want to start there. You want to you know hire a place that can uh, get your cost per mailing down into the 30 cents, is not not in the 40s. You want to sometimes you might even get into the 29, 28s. So there's some really good direct mail uh, houses out there. Buying specific lists and mailing to specific target markets is really a key. So we do a lot of that now. I used to never do it, but now I do a lot, and it's a good return on investment. Um, radio, I do uh, a radio show every week, and um, very low cost. I reach two or three hundred thousand people, and they hear me talk, and I help. I hear people uh, refer to the radio all the time as I'm walking around the community. So there is a uh, listenership out there. You can do it on a budget. Uh, my show is a five-minute show. It's not a long show, so. There's a lot of ways you can get out on radio, whether it's Internet radio for almost free or whether you want to pay to be on a AM talk radio, which I do. TV I'm on, but it's really a, a very low-budget low, low budget situation where I put five-minute features out and uh, cost hundreds of dollars a month instead of thousands. And I have a five-minute feature that plays showing cosmetic makeovers. I think you can do things pretty cheap if you can get the video done professionally and put it out on certain airwaves. You don't have to go into the uh, thousands of dollars, but you, you really have to work hard to find those places. Uh, let's go back uh, for just a minute. You talked about being known as the mission dentist. You do a lot of that, a lot of uh, good locally as well as internationally. Give us a real brief description of 
what that what you do and what that's meant to your practice. Well, we we tied in the radio to the missions because we always invite people to see our mission photos when we do our radio spots on a nonprofit radio station. Mm-hmm. And we started doing missions in Kenya in 2001. We went every year since then, and we've been to Australia and Tanzania and Honduras and a number of countries to lead dental teams over there for dental, medical, spiritual, building projects, water projects, all kind of things. Everything that we um, do over there, actually I wrote a chapter about that in the book that's um, currently been um, released on Amazon. So if you go and do a mission overseas, people are going to sometimes ask you, you know, why are you going over there and not helping people over here? So um, the dentist listening to this ought to know that people kind of judge you based on what their self-interest is. And um, so I'm, I'm fairly quick to let people know we do have local missions, and we started a thing called the Deserving Diva Contest, which is a mission project to donate dental services to uh, people in need. So uh, I think every practice ought to have a local mission as well as an international mission as part of their long-term plan. Uh, back internally, uh, in the inside of your practice, you make really good time of really good use of your time in the practice, uh, making it really easy for patients to get treatment done today. You call it time in a bottle. Tell us about that. Yeah, I, I kind of focus on efficiency and effectiveness. I was um, I came out of dental school and worked in a public health plant the first year for a while and. This old dental assistant, you know, she was old to me. She was uh, 45 or 50, and I was 25, <laughs> young guy. <laughs> so she said, uh, well, that's, that's a long time ago. She said, I've never seen anybody do that before. And I said, well, I was just taking out an old amalgam and put in a new one. And um, I said, what do you mean, do what? Take out a filling that fast. So anyway, from the very beginning, I was fast. And I, and I just got things done. And so I studied efficiency and effectiveness. And, um, you know, I'm like Bruce Beard. I'm into uh, efficiency and production. I want to think through things before the uh, procedure goes on, and I want to do it the most effective way. So I measure doctor time, patient time. I know what the value of time is, and uh, I'm looking to minimize the patient's time in the chair. And so almost every day a patient says, Doug, I've never had anything done that easy and that quick. You're the best dentist I've ever been to. I mean, it just follows that being quick and effective means you're good to a patient. So uh, I look to uh, shave seconds off of time and not waste time. I try to get to um, what really motivates people at this time. I'm working hard to, to meet their motivation. When I was taking quest with Ron McConnell or going through the Peely with Omar Reed. You know, we worked a lot on thinking about what we were going to do before we started. So we work in the business, of course, to do our dentistry, but we really have to work on the business to make it efficient and effective. So I always feel like you've got to, you've got to plan ahead for effectiveness and efficiency. And eventually the dentist has got to get out of the chair and uh, have other income centers happening around him if he's going to be very uh, profitable. 
And that's one thing about time is that it's not all about your time. It's about having other people work while you're actually working too. Got to leverage yourself, and you've done that very well. I suspect of that uh, multi-million dollars worth of production, you're not doing all of that. I wish. But you got some extra hands. Yeah, you know, my my two little hands can only go at about the speed of $2 million a year. I cannot do three or four like some I've heard, but I can do two, and it's doable. I can do two in three days a week even. So what I want to do is have other dentists working with me and for me. Uh, I had a practice in Stone Mountain where I had one dentist mostly, and then I moved to Swanee, and I got one dentist and two dentists and three dentists to work with me. So every dentist you add on is another million-dollar practice. So we got up to almost $6 million by having four dentists. There you go. Uh, Bill, we have a town next to us that has a uh, older woman who's been the mayor of that town for years. And one of the, her secret strategies that she's known for is every morning she gets up and she goes on her morning walk, but she always goes and, and walks in a different part of town. So she is visible everywhere. And uh, she, I know you've got a philosophy called walkabout. I think she could probably be termed the walkabout mayor. I understand that you could probably be termed the walkabout dentist. Tell us about yeah, that. Yeah, that's good. I like that uh, walkabout mayor. When I moved to Swanee, I didn't know anybody, and uh, I had to figure it out real quick to get started because I had a family to feed. I wasn't a startup dentist. Didn't didn't uh, at 48. If you start over at 48, you know you're going to do things with intention. So um, I put the boots on and I started walking. I became uh, a man of the outback, I call it, going out into the heart of the country. The city of Swanee was my country. And uh, I was looking for people to meet. I was going and knocking on doors, meeting the professionals, looking for people who might be referral partners. And um, it turned out that I met three or four of the most influential people in town that first year. And it was way before I knew about the seven mountains of marketing concept that I developed and put that together. It was really showing up in the community and and becoming a, a leader by meeting the other leaders and then doing what they did. I watched people and I, and I started doing what they did. You know, in dentistry, I'd always done what other dentists had, had done. I studied Ron McConnell and Harold Gelb and Barney Jankelson, and I saw what they did to become good at TMJ, which was my initial big thing I liked and followed. But when I started following the mayors and the uh, city council people and, and seeing what they did, I learned how to be a force in the community. As Woody Allen said, showing up is 80% of success. There you go. You just got to show up in the right places and be visible, not uh, tucked away in your treatment room all the time. Yeah. Uh, let's go, go back inside uh, a minute. I know you're a big fan of the experience economy and giving patients a great experience when they come in. You've shared a lot of things in that area that you do in your practice that are unique and different. Uh, tell us a little bit more about how you've evolved that over the years to continue to improve the experience that they have in your practice. Well, you have to just turn your focus on the patient and take it off yourself. A lot of dentists come out of school and they focus on themselves as the great white doctor, the savior of mankind, and all these things. But uh, really it's what patients want that sets you apart if you meet their needs rather than uh, thinking about your own. And we're living in changing times, and so you actually have to look, look at 
what they want even now in different ways. They won't drive by dentistry. They won't just in time dentistry. You know, it's like the era of instant grits and instant oatmeal. Maybe they want to drive by and get a Starbucks, have it their way with all the right toppings. Um, if you don't cater to the people now, they'll just go somewhere else. So we're we're seeing extended hours. We're seeing uh, weekend stuff happening in dentistry. And you may not like it as a dentist, but it's the now generation. It's the digital generation. you got to show up on Facebook. And, and if you're not a smartphone-friendly website, which is called um, Mobile Responsive Website, then they'll just bypass you and go to the dentist office who has mobile response. I would make the mistake of not being mobile responsive if I was, you know, starting out in dentistry right now. Uh, I know that you, a big part of your success is you've worked from the inside out. You you saw it before you created it. You're a a big believer in being a believer, <laughs> and. Uh, and and believing that you can do it and you can make it happen, you've you've climbed some big mountains and and tackled some big challenges successfully in your career. Maybe you could share with us kind of your personal discipline about uh, staying on top of it and motivated and keeping your vision fresh, so that you communicate that to your team and your you are the leader. I came out of. Um the first practice I had, thinking I could do it all myself, and I really thought I was the force behind all the success we had had, but um, we did have a crash and burn during that time where we lost, the, you know, the neighborhood, the practice went sour, and we took it back. But one thing I didn't share with you is that we made a whole bunch of bad investments during the 90s, and basically we lost all our, all our retirement and all of our money, not just our practice. So we really did start over and kind of reassess things back then when it was such a bottom pit time. And I had been reading some books. Um, one was Halftime by Bob Buford, which said, yeah, you, re- you really need to reassess your life. If, if you look at the first part and think you're doing it all yourself and it's not working, what are you going to do different the second half of your life? And um, we really did focus. And I got involved with a Bible study fellowship started uh, going seriously through the Bible, reading, uh, studying, and got spiritually aware of really what was in there. And I totally turned my life around. I started um, a journey, a discovery about what really makes a difference. And I started focusing on asking God, what is it that you want me to do? And I just prayed about it. And he led us. He showed us the way. He gave us the place to go. He showed us a lot of things about missions, things that we should do to support the community. And uh, right now, that's probably what I would tell anybody who's listening, who is looking for answering their call, and is um, just pray about it. And uh, God told me real clearly back in uh, the early 2000s to uh, stay with the dentistry, don't try to get into other things. And he said, it's uh, good to bring God into the workplace. It's good to build your practice on a scriptural basis and follow the golden rule. You might say, just do good for people, and they'll be good to you. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, if you were if you were going to sum up uh, the best way possible 
uh, kind of the the top couple of things that have made the biggest difference to you. Uh, you've you've built an amazing library of things in your book, and you've shared some great wisdom today. Uh, but if you kind of sum it all up, if we put Bill Williams in a in a capsule that would kind of give us the the basic general direction and where to get started, how would you summarize that? Well, to grow your practice, you really need a marketing plan. I think you need a what I call a twelve step guerrilla marketing attack would be a, a te- technique or an act, an activity to go through and. You, you would need to research the areas you want to grow in. And I, I say research 10 areas and select your competitive advantage that you have over your competition. Then select your weapons you're going to use. Um, in our book, we talk about 201 tactics or weapons you can use to market your practice. You select a um, set of them and create a marketing action plan which you put in process, you you engage your resources to help you enable yourself to go and do the marketing plan. So you might have to hire people that actually have expertise in these areas, like somebody to build a website or to manage your social media. And you delegate that. You don't do it as a dentist. I mean, most dentists would be crazy to do what I've done to uh, learn how to do all this stuff and spend time doing it. You'd be much more profitable to do dentistry, pay somebody else to do it. You can make more in one hour than it costs for a month's worth of social media management, for instance. So think about that. Stay at the chair and delegate your core competencies. Make a marketing calendar. That's one of the most key things you can do is your your marketing should be done by the calendar. Pre-plan it. Find a marketing partner to do joint ventures. Launch your attack, maintain the attack. Most people will launch an attack and just do it once and not maintain it. So, uh, of all things in marketing, you have to maintain. Keep keep working it. Never let it slide. If you ever want to have more new patients, you just increase your marketing. You have to keep track and improve it. Always understand what your ROI is. So, if you are not getting return, just change your plan. That's the key uh, summary of what I would do if I was somebody looking to market. And grow their practice. So you have uh, done, I think, a great favor for dentistry. You have encapsulated your years of experience doing all of this in a new book entitled Marketing the Million Dollar Practice, 27 Steps to Follow to Grow a Half a Million Dollars a Year. And uh, that's available on Amazon as well as on your website, 100 New Patients, right? 100 New Patients with the number 100. Is that correct? That's right. 100NewPatientsAMonth.com. Bill, we appreciate you sharing your time today and your uh, your wisdom with all the members of the Crown Council and for your great uh, example. You're a great inspiration to all of us, uh, no matter the age for you to have accomplished what you've accomplished, and then your willingness to share it is uh, is an inspiration to all of us. So thanks for being with us today, and thanks for being our Crown Council Mentor of the Month this month. Yeah, it's a pleasure, Steve. I, you know, I had a great run for the first 23 years in teaching TMJ and orthodontics and reconstruction and having a great time doing that around the world. And, and then I sat back a while and came back and started over again, and We've, we've kind of focused on marketing more, and, and this um, this book is a result of that. And 
what I'm looking forward to in the next 10 years is to just sit back at age 64 and seeing whatever I can do to support that profession, what I can do to inspire people to become more than they already are. And uh, there's no small practice, there's no large practice that can't be improved. So we're just here to be a support for them. Appreciate it. Thanks for sharing today. All right. Good night and have a good day. 